Hey, I'm Danny Levy, and you're listening to Digital Transformation and Leadership. This is the show where we go behind the scenes with today's top business leaders to understand how they're digitally transforming their company. This week, I'm joined by Joanne Flynn. She helps solve critical C-suite problems of audacious sustainability, impact, and climate change. And she integrates the environment and sustainability into organizations for results. Joanne, welcome to Digital Transformation and Leadership. Wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me on board. Thank you so much for for coming on to the show. So, Joanne, just before we start, I know we were just chatting before I hit record about all your all your time here in Singapore and, and your background, but it'd be fantastic if you could share some of that briefly with with the listeners, just to give them a bit of an insight as to who you are and, and what you're doing. Okay, I'm going to pick two. <laughs> Two data points that, given them where we might take this conversation, is I started in business at 22. I ran a $10 million business, which had a million dollars of unfunded debt, which I discovered once I'd gone into it. Mm. So I, I learned business is real business, not as theory, incredibly young, turned the business around, and that led on to running businesses for PricewaterhouseCoopers, being an executive at a bank, and you know, for the last 15 years, working with a lot of really incredible leadership teams on how do you transform your business so that it's really going to succeed over the next decade or so. And that sort of slightly longer term framing on you know what is really strategic success, because when you do a big business recovery, you, you want it to last. Mm-hmm. Last you know, 18 months ago, had me work with a $1.5 billion fund who's focused on ending plastic waste in redoing their strategy uh, to set it up for longer-term success. And coming out of that, they were saying, Joanne, you know so much about sustainability. Where on earth does that come from? And I had to take a step back because I hadn't realized that I knew so much about sustainability. It was just something that I kind of knew. And where it came from was that when I was a kid, my father, was, who was an agricultural economist, worked for some leading-edge research organizations whose job was to do the first green revolution, to transform the way we produce food. We, so as a kid, I lived in Nigeria and in the Philippines, which was, you know, back, at, back in those days, was pretty, both were pretty exciting places, you know, back in the first Marcos years. And, and so dinner table conversation and just day-to-day life was about how do, do different parts of the, the financial system, the business system, farming, you, know, you name it, um, all fit together to actually create a, you know, a prosperous environment. And so that was what I was working from when I was working with, with the Alliance. And it made me realize that for a lot of us, it's not that we intrinsically want to do the wrong thing. It's that people talk about sustainability and make it so complicated when it doesn't need to be. And so the last 18 months, I've had a lot of people reach out to say, hey, Joanne, you simplified it. Can you come in and talk to our group? Um, and now here I am with you. Isn't it That's wonderful? Good. It is. Amazing where, where you end up. And, you, and like you said, it, it took someone else to prompt you and push you down that track, which so often happens, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when people sort of say, talk about you know, your life plan, it's like, well, I think I have now more like life intentions. And then stuff happens. That's it, yeah. The best intentions and things tend to work out okay. So, Joanne, just before we get into the, the main topic today, I wanted to ask you a, an icebreaker question. Interested to know, if you had an extra hour in the day, 25th hour, what would you, what would you do with the extra time? Ooh, oh my. If I had an extra hour in the day, I think I would actually let myself go and do something I completely adore doing, 
but my growing up be a responsible adult personality doesn't often let me do it. I really enjoy creating art and I've exhibited internationally, but my business brain tends to be the one that runs my life. So if I had an extra hour in the day, I would actually be putting it into creating art. Very good. Creativity as well, it's often one that gets overlooked, doesn't it? We don't make enough time to be yeah. creative and it can have a massive impact in everything else that we do. Well, what, does it, what does it do for you when, when you give yourself that kind of time? Oh, when I get some creativity time. Mm. After the day ends and the, the kids have gone to bed and it's 10 o'clock. <laughs> if I had an extra hour, if, if, I think when, when you get the time to kind of step away and be creative and do something you enjoy, it just frees up that space in your brain that allows you to um, come up with new ideas. And I think we've lost that a little bit with smartphones. I don't know about you, but I remember getting on a train and sometimes just looking forward to looking out the window and you could let your mind wander and you'd come up with other things. I, I sometimes find now that we're so distracted uh, all the time by smartphones and notifications coming in that you just don't get that headspace. And I think when I go off and, and I'm able to create something or I like to draw, so do a drawing or something, that that's where actually you end up thinking about other things in your life and you can come up with a new idea, bizarrely. So that, that's why I enjoy the creativity. What do you think, Joanne? Is, is that similar for you? Actually, listening to you, I was reflecting that it really is, is that for me, that space of art and creation quietens the busy mind, as you say, like the digital chitter chatter. Yeah. And somehow, in the, uh, for me, it almost like it goes empty. It's the, and uh, other, other connections and ideas come, come through. And I'm not always aware of them at the time, but afterwards, as I'm kind of like finishing up, other pieces that I've been kind of noodling or not, not had, hadn't worked out just so suddenly are clear and a pathway is open. Yeah. Yeah. Quite amazing. Love art. Love that, that creative what, that creative time. Mm. So, so we're going to talk today about, Joanne, um, sustainability, the company director's imperative. And nowadays, sustainability, is it's, it's a huge talking point, isn't it, these days? It's on the, mm. the tip of everyone's tongue. It's no longer something that... Is, is needs to happen. It's something that is happening um, within a lot of organisations. But you've mentioned that people earlier, and and we I see it all the time. But again, people really do overcomplicate sustainability. So I wondered if you could you could break it down for us and you could simplify the alphabet soup of sustainability. Um, okay, <laughs> I will. At one at one level, it's sort of one of those things that because there is so much jargon in it. it, it is a little overwhelming. But I remember when I first started learning business, there was an awful lot of jargon in business that I now just take for granted, having worked in it for ages. So uh, I, I start off from, from that just to go, well, well, there is jargon, it, there is sense in it. So when I had to step back and when I was writing Greensight, one of the first things I realized was how on earth can I simplify it and still have integrity with the, the situation mm -hmm. so that it makes it easier for us. And what I realized was that if we actually just simplify, take it down to there's actions that we take in business that either are going to contribute to a green world, which if you want to, all the scientific languages says under 1.5 degrees Celsius from pre-industrial revolution days, that's the kind of world that has created the 
global climate and environment that's basically allowed our societies to prosper over the last couple of hundred years. So, okay, that's the green world. And then there's the economic system that we've used for the last 200 years. While it's brought us a lot of benefits, it's brought us a lot of damage, including all the climate impacts that we're seeing here and the loss of different you know, species and all these other things. And so, mm -hmm. you know, so that other world is basically a rusty world. It's one where things are, while it's mechanically useful, it's sort of falling apart and creating some pretty negative rusty consequences. So... When I step back and we're like, we can see it in those two things, then it simplifies from all these people talk scenarios and different pathways, which are useful for analytic purposes, but for day-to-day -day living, it's much easier. And as a business person, it's a lot easier to go, is this decision or is this action green, contributing mm -hmm. greenway, or is it contributing rusty? And then... Standard & Poor's in 2021 did some research and they looked at the top 1,200 companies that are in the, the S&P um, index that they operate mm -hmm. and looked at the decision making that they had around investments. And what they identified was that 66% of companies were still investing on the Rusty model. And so that led me to a second question, which was, okay, so these are well-meaning, intelligent, capable businesses. You know, they're aware of, mm -hmm. you know, the, the climate issues. So what would be helpful as a senior executive to say, how, how, do, how do I sense make in this one so that we're actually making better decisions? Yeah. Um, on it. So in the... You know, in the green space, there's a series of things that will contribute to our planet being green. And, um, and, and I, I actually parse it down into like a really practical thing. So I'm going to ask you this question. So, Daniel, how old are you going to be in seven and a half years? In seven and a half years? 45. Okay. And 45 is real, right? I mean, I, mm -hmm. I'm, I go seven and a half years. I'll be a little bit over 45. Um, but it's, it's, it's a time zone. Like I remember when I did undergrad and then graduate, you know, that was like pretty much that length of time of my life. Yeah. Um, and you've got young kids and you know, those years disappear real fast. And okay. so I go seven and a half years, that's 2030. Uh, and mm -hmm. in, in the climate space and, and the sustainability space, you know, that's a, a milestone that's been marked off more because as human beings, it's useful for us to have a milestone. But when I go and say, so what actions do what would I need to be taking as a business leader, as a human being that would lead to a pleasant world in seven and a half years? You know, that, that makes it tangible for me. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not way out there. Um, and yesterday I was working with a group of 18 executives from different businesses. And one of the pieces that we were looking through was when we start seeing ourselves as a value chain of people, some businesses that are extractors, some businesses are logistics, some are manufacturers, some are distributors, consumers, you know, we each have a different part to play. Some will be very directly maintaining physical environment, mm -hmm. be it how, how, they, how they take things from the planet. Whereas other ones, it may be how that we design products and services so that it's easy for things to be reused so we don't have to take as much from the planet in the first place. Mm -hmm. And then others are going like, okay, well, how do we collect and recycle? And when we start taking the whole complexity that's the different parts of sustainability, and I could be talking TCNFD and SASB and all these other sorts of acronyms, 
we get lost. All the listeners are on Google now, checking out what yeah, they yeah. are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, I believe you me, I could, I could, could send you a list of like, and it really, yeah. that's why it's an alphabet soup. There are mm-hmm. so many. But when we kind of like, okay, we go like, well, my business, um, you know, is in this space so that here's a set of things that I can be doing, but I can't do it alone because what I do only does this bit, but another part of my value chain that contributes to profit may do something else. So one of the core elements in sustainability, and I think the people that designed this really were thinking for our best interest as a planet, but I have to say as a business person, not necessarily easy, mm-hmm. but for our best interest as human beings, is what they identified was that historically we've been able to in business say, well, we're responsible for our legal entity. So yeah. you know, when people often talk about carbon and, and, th- and the other greenhouse gases, so there's six greenhouse gases that are included in the greenhouse gas protocol and carbon dioxide is sort of the one we're most familiar with but methane can be 300 times more impactful per unit than carbon dioxide mm-hmm. so you know there there's there's six of the, them in there but again like again that, that's all alphabet soup stuff but just simplifying it down to co2 is the symbol of the six and so you know, we go, okay, so I'm doing this. So I take responsibility for the carbon that I generate directly in my business. Mm-hmm. But a lot of us use energy, so electricity. And, but so, yeah, I get that I need that electricity to operate. So what's the carbon um, impact of that electricity? Now, here in Singapore, the bulk of electricity is carbon-based electricity. It's not yet renewable. Mm-hmm. So my carbon footprint living here is a lot higher. Like, I did a worked out this in the, anyone who's listening you can actually do this yourself and i actually did this in excel it took me one evening two glasses of wine so okay. just just to calibrate again simplifying the alphabet soup and i said okay what are the biggest what are my biggest users of electricity in my life so yeah. you know worked out those sorts of things you know your fridge your air con your mm-hmm. heater etc worked that out um, computers had to add that one in and then i did so those are my columns in excel and then i went down and I ding, 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 each year of my life. Did a ve- and then I did a really rough approximation how much of that I would have used. So um, it was really illuminating because it turned out that the aircon type that we'd used as kids mm-hmm. used an awful lot more power than the, the current one that we have now. So, you know, okay. yay. So that was pretty cool to discover. But Did you make it, any changes after you'd done that exercise? Well, well what it, it was used, yes. A, we upgraded the aircon because we found, because yeah. in the process found that, that there's some newer tech than the one we had mm-hmm. that would, was much more better on the, energy cons- on, on the energy consumption and therefore would have a lower carbon thing. But the best, by, what I hadn't realized was how much power my computing devices used right. by the, okay. adding all that one. It, you know, it, was a, mm-hmm. it wasn't a tiny one, it was you know, a good chunk of it. So that was a bit of an eye-opener to just go, okay. And then I found out that um, IT as an industry generate, basically consumes the same amount of power as Japan does, mm-hmm. just to calibrate that. Okay. And so people go like, oh, I put it on the cloud. Um, and going, well, then it's sort of not really mine, it's the clouds doing it. But this is where this idea that's called scope three gets super interesting. And scope three, so scope one is what we're doing directly. Yeah. Scope two is the energy that, you know, a direct, highly necessary input, say, for example, for our businesses like yours and mine, it will be power. Um, and then scope three is what are the other businesses that are part of our value chain Mm-hmm. also doing because without them of course we can't prosper so there's companies that supply us goods 
what it, what is it for them and then we have companies that buy our services what is it for them and this is called this is ideas called scope 3 mm-hmm. now it turns out for companies who've actually done this analytics that sometimes 93% of their carbon impact is actually in their in their value chain right and so yesterday we I was working with this group of executives to start saying okay well where is our value chain and therefore where can we start seeing possibilities to collaborate differently to change our impact across the value chain and some of them were seeing it well if if we design this product differently then that'll have a different impact on another part of the value chain okay. and and like sometimes it could be taking things down by 20% like quite yeah. significant but it was only in that conversation which is you know to what we were talking about and sort of before we got onto recording mm. uh, but it's this is where when you get people together and like the collaborations and the conversations that can ha- happen at an event like the ones you run they provide seeds for this different level of collaboration to start happening is that is that as well where many people or organizations miss that that it's actually within their their supply chain their suppliers is that was that also contributing you mentioned earlier i think it was 66% are still investing in the rusty model is, yeah. is is that does that go back a lot because of that influence that they're actually just missing that i think that what they're missing is two pieces in that is there at one level we have a default thinking in business where if it's not in our legal entity it doesn't count okay so that there's yeah. there's a part of that whereas when you the value chain concept basically says well guess what if it's part of your way of making profit mm-hmm. it counts so i was work had a conversation with a couple of people from the finance industry last week and they were going oh well maybe if you know why don't we have pe- more people working from home and I'm mm. going, well, if your people are working from home, do they need to use energy and do they need to have a building around them? Mm-hmm. And they're going, yeah, kind of looking at me like I was dumb. I'm going like, well, that's <laughs> called scope three. Yeah. <laughs> it counts. It, yeah. it doesn't. The big shift is we can't, the, it, in this one, is it saying we, the legal entity is not what stops us needing to be aware. Mm-hmm. And the 66% is people are used to making profit and money yeah. and not being aware of these other costs and these you know very genuine costs that are part and parcel of the way we're operating and now with the transparency that ESG and I'll for those people who don't know what those little, that little bit of alphabet soup is I'll just define it in a moment that that transparency it's like well when you start seeing it it's like wow okay and so in the room people were talking about well okay we've well we can do this and they're starting to create links between other parts of the value chain Mm-hmm. To say what what could we do differently, or wait a second, it, maybe we could be developing these products that will change your use cost. So, you know, custom for for customers. So yeah. it go, goes the thing is it goes up and down. It's not just your supply chain; it's also your the profit making side of it. You know, like who you're selling to and things like that. So, services companies can actually have quite significant scope three because they do a lot of work for high carbon emitters. Hmm. A lot of companies do they do they still miss? I know these these projects, these transformations internally can take a a long time. There's a lot of different internal stakeholder management processes that need to change. But ultimately, if you're more green and more sustainable, it's going to make you more profitable as a business. Yeah. Do, do, do companies still miss that point? Do you find when you're working with organisations? They there's two groups of companies. There's companies that have kind of 
got it, and I think it's more it's in their DNA and yeah. their origin. It's the one for, but for many that's not been the, that's not been what they were founded on. So it is it's a business. It is as you say, it's a business transformation. Mm. It's intrinsically known. It doesn't need to be more complicated than the way we do big digital transformation. Yeah, it, you know, still it's such digital transformation is a transformation. This is a transformation, but it is about baking it into culture, decision making, accountability. It's still painful. It, it's, it's still look. It's still it's still change. It's yeah. still it's it's still change and and doing things and working out how to do yeah. things differently. And you know, I mean, sometimes we're not excited about it. Hmm. But what I have found interesting is that for a good number of people, the fact that they can bring what some of the elements that they really value into the room and have it respected actually is a real source of energy and empowerment and action taking. So. Last week, I was working with a group of executives in India where they're looking at putting a, basically creating a unicorn. They're a big business. They want to mm -hmm. add a unicorn onto the, onto the business in the next couple of years. And you know, the challenge we're working through was like, well, how do you do this with really deep sustainability? Because if you don't, the environment and your customers are going to be pretty upset. Regulation is going to get you. It's not good. But you know what? We don't have to wait till all that is pushing us. What if we created and worked this through on how we would do it. And the shift wants people to talk, well, what if we owned it as a way of being really powerful and different? You could mm -hmm. literally feel the shift of energy in the room that was quite, quite measurable because they actually felt they were creating a much greater and more impactful business. And one that, yeah. you know, for the finance people who, who may be listening to this one, it's already worth four percentage points on your cost of funds mm. already. Um, it can create massive sources of other valuations. So it's not about this being seen as a cost. It is about being seen as a different way of operating. Mm -hmm. And how about directors? I guess it, this goes back to, to director responsibilities, but um, company directors now, does this really just need to be ingrained and in part of the mission statement for, for businesses moving forward? And if it isn't, are they, are they a step behind? You're right. It is something that needs to be ingrained as part of the business through the vision, through the mission, through you know, the operational strategy. So a strategy needs, like strategy and sustainability was a bolt-on. Mm -hmm. Now it just needs to be, you know, like the oxygen in the way that we think and operate. Yeah. Um, and for directors, uh, I mean, I know from what you were sharing with a good number of the people who listen to this podcast are going to be in Singapore, Australia, in the UK and the USA is the legal responsibility as a director in most of these countries is mm -hmm. to think about the future of the company so that it will survive and operate. And it's not that's not just about money. That's the financial side is one element. But if your business is not going to be able to stay in business because it doesn't have the necessary sustainability infrastructure, like it's hard just for certain businesses to stay in business now if you don't have a certain digital infrastructure, mm -hmm. then as a director, you could be exposed to legal suits for negligence, not delivering against your responsibility, um, and or investor actions. So I don't want to be talking about the threat side alone because there's certainly plenty of that. But what I am seeing is the businesses that are working this through are like those who took on the digital revolution 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that over the next 20 years are going to be really creating massive capital gains in the market because they're going to have the competency. For directors that maybe are listening to this, Joanne, that haven't made much of a start, 
Yeah. Do you have any recommendations? What would you, you know, what, what, what would be some of the first things you start doing if you do want to make this positive change? Okay, I, what I would start, where I would start as a director, like if I was sitting down with another director and we were like, we're having a, having a lunch or, mm. you know, an initial consult, I'd say like the, the first piece is to have a look at your business and look at it in two dimensions. Look at all the stake, different stakeholders that you actually have in the business mm -hmm. and see what their trend direction is. Because if you have a little bit of a shift coming in from your, your sources of finance, some coming in from your current investors, some coming in from employees, some coming in from suppliers, and you just start adding them all up, you might actually realize, like, one, strategically you want to know how big that delta is. And then mm -hmm. secondly, you want to go start thinking through, see what kind of impact will be happening on your business model. So, for example, in the last nine months, we've gone from a situation in Singapore where Maybe 25% of RFPs ask what company for you to declare what you, you're doing around sustainability. Okay. It's now up about 95%. So that's just one stakeholder, mm -hmm. you know, in supply chain. Uh, and the, but if you look in finance, it's, it's also starting to show through there. And so as a director, you just want you want to know and be on top of that, because that's just a strategic thing about can you observe what kind of pledge do you want to make. Do you need to be operating as the complier? Do you need to be transforming? And then step back and go, which side of the game do you want to play? Do you want to play mm -hmm. rusty or do you want to play green? Yeah. Playing rusty means just continue doing what you're doing because mm -hmm. most businesses are default designed in, in that model. If you don't want to be down on that pathway, it's saying we're going to play green and see it as a, trans see it as a transformation process um, and work out, set a pledge, and then the next mm -hmm. step is pick a pledge, 1.5 or less, my recommendation, because that's a good, solid place to get moving for. And more and more businesses are doing that and looking for business partners who are on that same journey. Okay. And then start making progress. It's not about, I've, no one expects any of this overnight. No. Is it about being focused as well? Because it can be a bit overwhelming. Is it, is it picking a lane and then making incremental steps, like you said? Yeah, it's so the, the power of when one picks, say, a, a goal like 1.5 or less, yeah. just saying, okay, I've got to work out my corporate equivalent of 1.5 or less, understand my, val you know, my value chain. Then in any big transformation, it gets into like, well, what are the lanes we need to get done, done mm -hmm. now? Like there's some lanes that would be really important for us to deal with now. Sometimes it might be picking one area so we can develop our, our initial muscles around it. To, yeah. You know, it's a classic pilot. Like, where are we going to pilot? And then what are we going to do this quarter? What are we going to do next quarter? So one organization I'm working with, we are working on a 90-day cadence of just each, each one's about lifting the game mm -hmm. so that progressively we're developing depth, expertise, insight. We're shifting the way the relationships are with other parts of the value chain because they're seeing opportunities. And, you know, I anticipate over the next 18 months or two years, they'll have a whole couple of whole new business sections just because of new things they see as possible because they're, they're playing the game green. Fantastic. If you're a director, that's exciting. Mm. It's not it is, talking about survival. Yeah. It's talking about growth. Yeah. And when, big picture as well. I mean, are there other opportunities? What are the big opportunities to business models in terms of sustainability? Right now there are opportunities that come through there's new ways of contracting and collaborating mm -hmm. so if i if i look back and say what is you know the first layer of the digital revolution 
created, you know, very direct connectivity, like you know, like the the infrastructure type IT. Whereas now, when I look at the way you know the way we we cloud and we share and we interact, it's a whole extra layer, um, and quite a different set of business models. Sustainability and our ability to split, share, and improve performance on a whole set of other indicators that will have very distinct values. So, you know we'll see new ways of configuring value that come out of it. So one that I think could be, could be quite exciting is that if you've got a value chain that's got a, a particular carbon impact, mm -hmm. just to you know, use carbon, but you know, there's other ones of biodiversity, land use, plastic, um, just to mention a couple of the other ones. Then what you start doing is creating value across your value chain. So if instead of having a carbon impact that means there's X number of tons happening. And as a couple of organizations, you work out how to reduce that, every single one of you will get value out of it. Okay. And that, that kind of value proposition will be lower carbon taxes, it'll be different carbon opportunities just in that one alone. So there'll be a, other forms of value exchange happening that will be in the same way that as we've started creating our, you know, Web 3.0, there's a whole mm -hmm. new set of value exchange happening there. Um, and the early adopters are going to be the ones who manage to reap that that reward. Yeah. So get started if you haven't already. Joanne, exactly. Yeah, just I've, get started. Yeah, just get started, precisely. Really enjoyed talking about sustainability with you today. Um, some some fascinating points and, and, and things I hadn't considered. And so I've, I've got a lot of value out of it, and I'm sure the listeners will as well. Um, just before we close, I always like to ask my guests if they could share one life or career lesson with the listeners? I think, and in the context of what we've just been talking about, mm -hmm. one of mine is set set yourself a crazy goal. I mean, because okay. crazy is often other people's perspective and sometimes our own judgment of it. And then just take consistent progressive action. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily about it being massive. So like to take it out of, you know, part business, but part personal. A number of years ago, I just said, I really want to actually go and do something with art that I create and like, have it actually really get somewhere. And I'd been doing it as a hobby personally and no one had ever seen it. But when I said, okay, I'm going to do this one, I started asking different questions. And within a year, I ended up exhibiting in two different continents. And okay. two years in, I had been in two different museums. Like, Amazing. I would have never imagined it, but mm. I'd set myself uh, this goal that seemed crazy to really be great and established presence as an artist. And then one thing led to another. And so for anyone who's listening, you know, at one level we've been talking sustainability, which can be kind of scary. But on the other hand, if you go and say like, well, how would I make an amazingly prosperous, thriving business or personal goal that was intrinsically sustainable? You'd be I've just found it's amazing what starts showing up, the different conversations those questions start leading to, and then what happens, and it happens fast. Yeah, completely agree. Great, great advice, Joanne. How, how can people get in touch if they want to find out more? Uh, very, what, wonderful. Thank you very much for asking, Daniel. <laughs> the simplest one is I actually can be found at Joanne Flynn, at joanneflynn.com. So uh, LinkedIn is, of course, very easy. Joanne at joanneflynn.com if you would like email and if you're super interested on Greensight and sustainability and what you can do as a company director, greensightguide.com uh, is a useful reference point for that too. 
fantastic. And if you check out the show notes, we'll we'll pop the the LinkedIn and the and the website links in there as well to make it easy for everyone. Beautiful. Yeah. Joanne, thanks again for for coming on Digital Transformation and Leadership and and sharing all of your insights and uh, experience with us. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much, Daniel. It's been delightful to have this time with you. made it to the end of another episode of digital transformation and leadership if you're enjoying the show please do leave us a five-star rating on apple podcasts no need to leave a written review just clicking on the five stars is enough i'd really appreciate it as it helps the show get found and it helps those listener numbers grow and we'll be back again next week when we will again go behind the scenes with another top business leader to understand how they're digitally transforming their company Digital Transformation and Leadership Podcast is a Blue Aurora Media Production.